Before we begin this episode, we want to provide a little bit of context for you about what you're about to hear. In this episode, we interviewed Feminist Thought and Activism Conference keynote, Afrosexology. We had originally recorded with Afrosexology back in April, but due to unforeseen circumstances, we had to re-record the interview. A lot has happened in between the time of the two recordings. At the time of the second recording, national protests had broken out over the murders of George Floyd, Amon Aubrey, and Breonna Taylor. As Black women, we were all feeling exhausted, which you can probably hear in the tone of our voices. So it's not as upbeat as the original recording, but the context made the conversation about engaging in pleasure even more relevant. If you'd like to listen to a bit of the original recording, you can find that in our recommendation show, where we share some books and music recommendations. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, this is Angelica. And this is Courtney from the WGAC. We are joined in our virtual studio today by Afrosexology. Some of you listeners may know that the WGAC hosts an annual conference called the Feminist Thought and Activism Conference. Afrosexology was set to be our keynote this year. Due to COVID-19 and CSU going virtual since March, we had a pivot with the conference. Unfortunately, we couldn't host the event in person. However, a positive outcome is that we now get to interview the conference keynote for this podcast. Before we jump in, we'd like to share a little bit about Afrosexology. Afrosexology LLC was birthed from the desire to experience a more sex-positive Black community. Owners Delisha and Rafaela are two Black women pleasure advocates, sex educators, social workers, activists, and creators who are passionate about empowering people to live their most pleasurable lives. They've been interviewed and featured in HuffPost, Vibe, and Playboy magazines to share expertise and share the passion behind this movement. Afrosexology has traveled nationwide and internationally, successfully engaging with over 10,000 people through community workshops, conferences, webinars, and social media. Afrosexology aims to educate, explore, and reclaim Black sexuality and promote Black self-empowerment through sexual liberation. You can find Afrosexology online and on Instagram. All right, so let's get in on with our questions. All right. So can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and whatever you want our listeners to know about you? Rafaela, can you start? Sure. My name is Rafaela Fialo. I am a licensed clinical therapist, a sexuality educator, and clinical social worker. I'm based here in St. Louis, but I'm originally from New York. And um, right now, I would just like to say that I'm feeling. Um, really held virtually in the communities that I'm part of. And it's been really important and special being someone who likes to be alone most of the time (laughs) and um, understanding that due to circumstances, it's feeling a little different to be alone. Hi, everyone. I am Delisha, pronoun she, her, hers. I identify... As a dreamer, this hard, but this week's been really hard for me and my dreams, though. But I identify as a dreamer, as a crybaby, as a lover. Oh, it's been hard for all of those things this week. But I am also a professor. I teach at the Brown School. 
Washington University in St. Louis in the social work program. I teach sexuality courses and I am a writer and a co-founder of Afrosexology. All right. Thank you all for that introduction. Um, So, of course, we know that you all do work in educating um, folks around, um, I think, what you all have called at times pleasure-based living, right, Mm -hmm. or some pleasure activism. So can you introduce us and our listeners to this idea of pleasure or pleasure-based living? And what's the connection between pleasure and liberation? Delisha, can you start? So we talk a lot about pleasure. Specifically, we talk about pleasure because we we want to hold space for the fact that like not everyone is sexual not everyone chooses to be um sexually active people choose to be celibate people choose to be or people are asexual but no matter if we're being sexual or or not that like pleasure is something that a lot of us like to experience and unfortunately it's something that it's unfamiliar to a lot of us. And so the reason that we connect pleasure to liberation is because for a lot of us who have marginalized identities, whether it's race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, age, ability, um, have been told and given messages throughout our lives that we are not deserving, that we are not enough, that there's something inherently wrong with us because of our body or the way that we identify. And a lot of those messages around what we don't deserve, like, aligns with the fact that we've been told that we don't deserve pleasure and that we don't deserve power. And so um, we like for people, we like for Black people to know how good it can feel in their body, how good they can feel in their body. We want to help Black people to to, um, experience pleasure in their personal lives and their relationship and to understand that like to understand it, to normalize that feeling. We feel like white supremacy really normalizes the feeling of trauma and pain in Black bodies. And we want people to also know that they deserve way more than to just survive and to experience and to try to spend their life avoiding trauma and pain, um, which feels really hard to escape right now, but that they deserve to thrive. They deserve to experience pleasure. They deserve to have healthy relationships to themselves and to the people that they choose to be partnered with. They deserve to be in a world that treats them well, that is pleasurable, that is affirming, that is caring, supportive. And unfortunately, we don't live in a world like that. And so for us, talking to people about pleasure-based living is about how do we get them to understand pleasure on a really micro level so that we can get to a place where we can let it inform all aspects of our life, including our relationship to our government. And so we, we like to talk people and give them, talk to people about and give them activities and exercises and guide them on how to figure out what feels good to them, what brings them pleasure. A lot of us don't know. We don't ask ourselves. We've been told from a really young age that what we think and what we want is not important or it's it's too much and it's uh, unrealistic. And so giving people space to, to say like, you know what, I do want to have sex on top or I do want to go on that vacation that everyone's been telling me I shouldn't go on which you know right now we in a global pandemic so we ain't condoning that but just saying like you know a lot of things like we could want our dream job and people can tell us like that's not realistic and so just trying to give people space to where they can explore and identify their needs and their desires and that they can build relationships and lives that align with that So 
kind of bringing in some of the work that we know that you've done, we did see your video series on the Intercourse Project um, that's on YouTube. And one of the videos was about survivors sharing their experiences of sexual abuse. So we're wondering if you could talk about um, the significance of survivors talking about their trauma in relation to their sexual journeys or in the process of their sexual healing. What was interesting for us with the Intercourse Project was that it wasn't it wasn't scripted. We didn't ask people to talk about um, specific issues. Like we didn't say like, "Hey, we're talking to people about sexual violence. If you've experienced this, please um, let us know." And we want to do this video. We just like asked ten pe- black people, "Tell us about your sexual liberation journey." And we had questions about like, you know, what have they learned about pleasure? What's been their experience with orgasm? But it was just really general, and I, it was. It was hard to hear how many stories had stories of sexual violence in it. And it was also hard to hear because we were doing these these interviews individually and separate. It was hard to hear a repeated theme that people felt like they were the only one and that that they were the only one who experienced that trauma, that they couldn't really speak out, that they couldn't share, that um, they had spent so many years uncomfortable talking about it. Um, And... It was so it was really important for us to do a video on that theme so that people can see that they are not alone. Like that was one of the messages that we want to get across is that it's not alone. You're not alone. And that um, whatever healing may look like for you, it is we were hoping through the video to give other people a bit of an insight in how the people in our video series had had been on their healing journey and what was useful to them. So, yeah, that was um, that was one important thing that we recognized when we were doing the video. And I think it was, it was just so important for people to have space to name what's happened to our bodies because we don't, like we were saying earlier, we don't get to talk about these things. There's not that many spaces where we can talk about sex, sexuality, sexual trauma, sexual pain. And we know that in conversations about sexual liberation, sexual trauma will come up because we live in such a violent culture that is violent in so many ways including like we're witnessing now with the police brutality and uh, sexual violence and gender violence. There's just like so much violence that happens in this, in this country. And so not giving people a space to talk about it um, does not promote healing or does not promote uh, a space where people know that like they're not alone, that they can talk about this. So yeah, so we encourage people to check out the video series and the whole thing is powerful, but the video on, um, sexual trauma and healing is particularly powerful. Um, Yeah. One of the things that I was thinking about, I believe that Angelica said last time is that when talking about pleasure, it's almost, it's automatically tied to sex, right? And sex is so taboo to talk about in the United States. So I really appreciate you all like wanting to do this work. What would you say, particularly to survivors who are struggling to engage in self-pleasure, what would you say to them? The first thing that I would say is um, that it's okay to be, to go through a period or a phase in which it is really difficult to be open to it because in order to be open to pleasure um, and to the truth of what our bodies need, we have to open up our bodies and that can be really scary when you've experienced um, someone overpowering you or telling you that what you were feeling or thought or wanted to do wasn't valid. 
And so for a lot of survivors, sometimes one way to kind of numb out involves numbing the body, not just the mind. So sometimes it can feel like a lot of pressure. It can feel even painful. It can feel scary. It can feel unknown to then tune into our bodies to not only say, oh, we're going to feel things now, but also to say, I'm going to allow myself to feel pleasure and I'll be open up to that. Um, And so, yeah, the first thing would just normalize the hell out of that and just say that is okay to go through that stage in which it does feel kind of scary or even confusing. Um, And I think that's even more relevant for people who may have had a physical response that they were not fully understanding if they were assaulted by someone. So then we kind of move the conversation about like body trust and self-trust and what does that mean? And we know that survivors of all types of trauma do struggle with trusting their gut, you know, trusting what their body is telling them, trusting what their mind is telling them. And so it's, it's definitely a full mind and body experience to tune back into pleasure and to believe the things that our bodies are telling us is important, that feels good, that tastes good, that smells good, when for so long, um, potentially, you know, not for everyone, of course, but, you know, for so long, we have been numbing out to survive and move throughout our days and to, you know, decrease the impact of certain triggers that we might be exposed to or experiencing. And so, yeah, it's it can be really tough, but it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it. And I think a a great way to start doing that work is to take sex off the table, right? You don't have to jump right into re-experiencing some type of sexual pleasure. It can start off by tuning into like, what do you like around you in terms of temperature, in in terms of clothes and fabrics on your skin, um, in terms of foods that you want to eat and fragrances that are really appealing people that you trust that you want to be in your space and energy that feels really good to you the ways that we enjoy moving our bodies and the ways that we can work to feel more comfortable and taking up space i think that's a great area to start off in because um yeah dealing with you know sexual interactions even if it is solo sex or masturbation can be really intimidating as well so I, I definitely caution people to really just slow down and explore what feels good to them and know that they don't have to immediately go to sexual pleasure when they are reclaiming their body, reclaiming pleasure for themselves. <laughs> right. I am one of the advocates at the WGAC and I talk a lot with survivors about ways to set boundaries and how to set different boundaries with different types of relationships. Um, and in turn, how to respect others' boundaries. And so can you all talk about your personal journey and becoming comfortable with setting boundaries? And how do you relate to how does boundaries relate to pleasure? So the first thing that we always like to echo with boundaries is that boundaries are 100% about us as an individual and it's up to us as an individual so we have a little work between understanding like what's a rule what's an ultimatum and what's a boundary it can kind of get a little mm-hmm. sticky and i think that mm-hmm. when talking about um survivorship and kind of going back to what we were referring to um pleasure as is this piece of trust right so when we're talking about boundaries we're basically saying like 
I am exerting a line in which you are not able to cross. And if you do cross that line, or if I have a certain response, then it's up to me to advocate for myself. Mm-hmm. And that can be so hard um, when our boundaries have been pushed and have been dismissed, or we've been told outright that like, that's, that's a stupid boundary, you know, that's not a thing, or you're being too sensitive. We receive a lot of messages. Um, and we receive a lot of gaslighting as well that really make us question like do wait am i is it me like wait should i allow this to happen am i being too sensitive um because i try to speak up to myself and when we are taught to at a very early age if we're taught to like listen to any adult hug any adult family member Mm -hmm. if we are told to sit down and be quiet and only speak when you're spoken to at such an early age we are being taught to ignore what we want. We're being taught to ignore those signs in our body that says, mm, you know, that something doesn't really feel right. That tone didn't really so sit well with me. That hug did, was not comfortable because for so long we're told like, we just have to do it, you know, grin, yeah. bear through it. And it's really hard to unlearn that sometimes, but excuse me, it is possible. So I think that's the first part is definitely understanding that, Identifying our own boundaries starts with ourselves and um, trusting ourselves that we know what's best for us, that we know um, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. And again, this is not just about sex, right? This is about people. This is about places and things. This is about us having ownership over what is allowed or not allowed in our spaces so that way we can... um, really thrive. And it's not just a surviving technique or this idea that, you know, every day I'm just doing the best, like forever, the rest of my life will be just me getting what I can. And it's never going to be more than that. And so I think um, when we are talking about boundaries, it's really important to have people turn into themselves and think about what their body was telling them. And this can be so hard Mm. to say, like, all right, when someone says this to you or, you know, if if there's someone who comes up to you and you feel some type of way. What is what is what message is your body giving you? And we're so used to just bearing through it that sometimes we can't even identify that. Oh, I was uncomfortable. We just get used Mm -hmm. to it. Right. So um, I remember one time working with the client. We were doing a boundaries activity in which it was, I forgot where I learned it from, but it was just kind of like having them draw on a big piece of paper, a circle around them or multiple pieces of paper if we needed it. (laughs) And um, I was just like, okay, I'm going to walk towards you. And then you tell me like when to stop. So this is your personal bubble, right? And Mm. I'm walking to the circle And I'm like, okay, so any minute now, you know, they're going to tell me to stop. And I'm like, okay, you're not telling me to stop. So we had to process that. And it's like, even though I knew this was going to happen, I still felt like you're the therapist. I can't tell you no. Or, um, Mm. you know, this is, I don't want to, I don't want to do bad on this assignment. So I want to be able to push myself beyond what I said was my comfort zone, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there are so many messages based on people's positions and titles and whatever power they already have in society where we feel like, Oh, even if we do have a boundary, we can't apply it to that person. And it is 
my job, right, to be aware of those type of systems, the way that I hold any privilege and power in spaces to make sure that I'm not only being cautious of the space that I take up, but I'm also affording people the space so that they can um, stand up for themselves and advocate for themselves and not use my power to overpower them or to my advantage, which often that's what happens, right? If I have this title, I know that you're probably want to say no, but you're not. And I'm going to take advantage of that. And so, Mm -hmm. so often, um, and Delisha and I have talked about this too. It's like when we're teaching people about boundaries, we also have them reflect on when do you think was a time where you potentially overstepped someone else's boundaries? Or you could tell maybe that someone else was uncomfortable about something, right? And so when we kind of build in that knowledge and we try to be more insightful and empathetic, then we can also say, dang, if they were uncomfortable about that, was I uncomfortable when something similar happened to me? Because mm. oftentimes in our society, it's so easy to think about other people's um, experiences, right? Because we are taught to put everyone else before ourselves. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so sometimes you, reframing it that way can be really helpful and um, just adding that insight. But yeah, those are just few takeaways. And I just realized that you asked about my personal journey. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was very helpful though. While you're talking, it just made me think about how in advocacy I talk about like a body scan, right? And so sometimes folks will be like, Yeah, I feel like not okay. And it's like, okay, but now do a real like really dig into yourself and tap into those feelings of what is making you feel uncomfortable and how can you craft a way to set that boundary where you feel comfortable and you feel like powerful setting that boundary, you know, um, and having it stay firm. So that's what was going through my head when mm. you were talking about like how to set a boundary. And well, you said something, there was like three different ones. There was a boundary. What did you say again? Um, mm. Oh, when I was talking about a rule or yeah. ultimatum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. And that's like super interesting that you said that. So I was like, wow. Yes. And I think, you know, sometimes it's so easy to, well, one, we don't really talk about boundaries, right? (laughs) We don't grow up with boundaries and especially depending on our culture, um, race and different family and cultural dynamics. Like we may not have any experience with boundaries at all, because again, we're told that I'm the parent or I'm the caregiver, I'm the adult and you do what I say. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. what you think, what you feel like. I know what's best for you. Um, Sometimes there is an awareness that they are not doing what's best for the person they're taking care of. But that's a whole nother thing. Um, And so, like, here you are, a grown person trying to figure out boundaries. And you're like, what? (laughs) What I don't even know what that is. (laughs) I've never had the opportunity because I grew up with hard rules and expectations in my life. I've never had a sit down conversation about how I get to say what's okay for me to experience. Um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of people are very used to giving people ultimatums and rules and saying, you can't do this or else, but not really having a full awareness of what boundaries are. That was so much wisdom and knowledge. <laughs> like every time, like Rafaela is a boundary queen and has taught me so much about boundaries <laughs> and I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm grateful. Um, for, for me, it's been... It's been interesting, like like Rafael was just saying, like I didn't really know that I had poor boundaries because I didn't know that things that were modeled for me growing up were unhealthy necessarily. Um, I I feel like my first one of my first indicators I've had like several, but two that stand out right is like I 
have, I used to have this pattern of like ending up in friendships and relationships where I was like, why do I feel like I am giving way more than I'm getting? Um, and my, you know, I went to a therapist and my therapist was like, well, why do you feel like saying no makes you a bad friend or a bad person? And that was like a really hard question for me to answer. And, um, yeah, I didn't really know that I I was a people pleaser and then I had been raised to be a people pleaser and that I was so used to going, like trying to go out of my way to do stuff for people more than I was. And I wasn't comfortable with asking people to do stuff for me. And then when I would and people would let me down, I wasn't taking note of that. I wasn't recognizing how some of my friendships were not balanced. So that was a, a thing that kind of like raised a red flag for me. My second red flag was like, I was at this workshop that was being facilitator and facilitated by a body worker whose name I am forgetting right now. Um, and they asked us to do this like simple exercise of like turning to the person next to them and asking them to squeeze our nose. And so the first time we went around, like you ask the person to squeeze your nose, everyone says no, everyone says yes, but then you don't touch their nose. And the third time we do, we do it, you, you say your real answer. And so like this person next to me who I don't know was like, can I squeeze your nose? And my gut reaction was like, no, this is weird. But like, by the time, <laughs> yeah. like, by the time it like got to my mouth, I was like, eh, you know, I mean, it's just my nose. It's not really going to harm me, I guess. Sure. And I said, yes. And I was like, oh, that was interesting. Why did I say yes? Why did I feel like I couldn't say, I don't want you to squeeze mm-hmm. my nose, which is such a small thing, you know? And so the purpose of this was around talking about, you know, t- communication during sex. Um, and it just made me feel really uncomfortable that I was like, oh, that was hard for me to say no for somebody touching me in a way that I did not want to be touched. And there was like no stakes involved. And I don't know why it was so hard to say no. Um, so, you know, going through therapy has helped me really reflect and realize that I grew up in a household that was like, had really poor boundaries for really loving reasons. <laughs> My family are immigrants and they all came to this country together, you know, after civil war. And so there was a way that we've been really enmeshed and are, there's no, individualism and it's you don't say you don't say no to people in my family because like somebody's asking you for something because they're in a country where they can't get around or they don't know how to drive because they didn't have to drive where they were at or like all these things so I just really grew up where you go above and beyond for family members you go above and beyond for your community because I also was raised in a community of immigrants and you go you do you go you push past your limits and you don't say no for reasons around survival, helping each other out, supporting each other. So it wasn't even to harm each other. It was really support each other. But that was so normalized for me that I didn't know in relationships that you could say no, that you could say, I don't want to do this or I can't do this right now. And it's been a really interesting process and challenging process for me to try to do boundary work intentionally and to learn how to say like when my friend is like oh my god can you like babysit my kid real quick like right now like I have an emergency and I'm like in the middle of something to it's really hard for me but it's, it's I'm getting better at being like actually I, I can't do it you know and and not feeling like I have to because what I was finding for myself is that I was saying yes to things I wanted to say no to that I would be doing it and I would be like unhappy the whole time and I would just be sitting there like I don't want to be watching this Mm -hmm. damn kid I'm over here with this kid and I was just like this is I'm not a happy babysitter right now I'm not a good friend right now (laughs) I like I'm agreeing to work things that I don't want to do and I'm not giving my all into it and so Mm -hmm. a major part of me learning 
you know, and doing pleasure work was like learning how to say yes to myself more and learning how to say no and letting my yes, you know, mean yes and my no mean no. And so it's been super hard to have those conversations with people and to set those boundaries and to end some relationships when you realize that they are not honoring or respecting your boundaries and to set boundary with family members. Like I had to go home this year and be like, Hey, if we're, if people start having conversations about my body or any of my cousin's bodies, I'm leaving. Like I'm not going to keep sitting here and like my family lovingly likes to tell you everything that's wrong with your body that they perceive as wrong with your body. And I don't, and these conversations don't make me feel good. So why do I so explain them? No, like I don't, I'm not going to participate in this behavior that we're, that y'all are doing. And as I've done that more and more, it's become easier to to understand what my no feels like in my body. I've actually like figured out that I have like two no's. I have like a no that's like a I really don't want to do this, and I have a no that's like it feels differently. And it's, it's a no that means I'm scared to do this, but I really want to do this. And so I've been learning to work with that fear um, more and like not you know, cutting myself off from my dreams and all the stuff that I want to do that intimidates me, but learning to honor when that feeling of like, I don't want to do this comes up and it's not an easy thing. Like right now I'm on summer vacation and yet I keep getting emails from my school to do work and I do not get paid during the summer. And I don't know why they keep asking me to do labor. And I was talking to another colleague and she was like, Oh, that's just what they do. Like, it's not really a summer vacation. And I had to say like, no, 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 this is my summer vacation. <laughs> like, I don't know what everyone else does, but I'm not, June and July, I'm off. Like, I don't get paid for these months. I'm working on other things. I have things I want to do. And it, it's a hard conversation to have with my associate dean. Like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> but I, I have to hold up my boundaries because we know that this system is built for people to overwork you, to ask for more than you can give, to push past your limits. And to continuously ignore where you're at to meet somebody else. And I just, I can't, I can't do that anymore. I, I identify now as a recovering people pleaser. And I'm like, I am no longer, I'm no longer mm-hmm. draining myself for somebody else because I need to be able to give myself what I need. And so boundaries has been really hard, super hard. And, but also really freeing. Cause now I, I, I do less things. I, the things that I do are things that I want to do. Like the work that I do, the friendships mm-hmm. that I have, the relationships that I have, the sex that I have. It's like stuff that I want to be doing. And it just feels so much better to be living a life where you're doing things that you want to be doing. Um, and I've learned that there are people who will honor your boundaries and who will uh, totally be grateful for you telling them where your limits are. And there are people who are not. And that's just been a really great indicator of who I want in my life and who I don't. So... That's been a really hard lesson, but a very helpful one. Are there any kind of final thoughts or words that you would like to say to our listeners? I think I would just like to remind folks or if they are needing any permission that um, all the feelings that they're having right now are valid and they're able to experience them and should experience them. Very often we allow ourselves to feel the quote-unquote good emotions um, more fully than the ones that society tell us are problematic or unwelcomed or bad and that we owe it to ourselves because our emotions are a part of us to recognize whatever it is that we're feeling and then after after that we can decide how we want to move forward with them 
Um, and I think also, especially for folks who are living lives near, within, or beyond the margin, that we have a lot of messages about how we are allowed to show up or what type of space we're supposed to take up. And so to continue rejecting those notions of what society says we can and can't do and to just be for now without pressure, um, without judgment and without feeding into the judgment and expectations of others, especially if it's unwanted and if it's harmful. And um, I've been... This semester, I read this book, Care Works, Dreaming Disability Justice, and uh, there was a couple of pieces in it. It's a collection of essays. There was a couple of pieces in it about survivorship from a disability justice-centered lens. And one thing that I took away from it, and a lot of my students really took away from it, was this idea that like survivorship is not binary, that you're not either cheered or broken, and that there's sometimes a lot of pressure to perform survivorship and perform healing. Um, and people feel like if they're not, like there's all these stories of like, I went through this traumatic thing, but now here I am thriving. And if you're not there, that you feel like you have to either freak it or there's something wrong with you. And so just like reminding people that healing and like all of this is a circular journey, not linear, and that you don't have to pressure yourself to feel um, pressure yourself or feel guilty about not feeling like you are where you want to be or wherever, what you, where you perceive other people to be. And so I think that's an important reminder. And then just want to lift up communities that have been doing sex in really healthy ways um, and who have created models for us to apply to our sex lives. That have been helpful. And so like I am super grateful to the kink community and leaders in the kink community who have developed like a lot of acronyms and worksheets and procedures and things to help us understand how do we negotiate? Um, how do we communicate boundaries during sex or be- like before sexual interaction? And the practice of using safe words and like having a safe word that everyone agrees upon so that you can like feel safe in your sexual interaction or when you're exploring or experimenting, especially something new. And then the practice of aftercare, which was new to me, like I've heard of safe words and, you know, all the consent stuff, but aftercare, which is this, it's a, it's a kink practice of after you play with somebody or do a scene with somebody that you beforehand, you decide what what kind of care do you want after this, right? And so we know that like when people are having sexual interactions or people are having kink interactions, that um, emotions can flare up, that there might be some, some like let's say for example, there's like role play in your scenario. And let's say there's like a power dynamic that happens that is not reflective of like your actual relationship or your actual life. And so afterwards, what do you need to do to bring that power relationship back to a balance? What do you need to do to care for yourself? Is it, I need to go get some water. I would like us to get food together. I would like for us to take a shower. I would like for us to talk about how we feel about the sex, but just like deciding that afterwards. And I find that's really helpful because a lot of people, people who are non-kinky in the non-kink community after sex, like just kind of like roll over and get on their phones. And like, it can feel really isolating and lonely afterwards. And after like, we just share this experience together and here we are schooling. And so I just want to encourage people to like look into the kink community. There's a, there's several articles about like 
people who have healed from sexual trauma through kink. And there's a lot of practices and resources in that community that I think is just useful for all of us to have healthier, uh, more consensual and more pleasurable sex. Thank you, Rafaela and Delisha, for your time. If you haven't already, please check out the keynote, Less Oppression, More Orgasms. That's all for this episode of We Believe You, Advocacy, Resources, and Healing Around Interpersonal Trauma. Please remember that the WGAC is here to provide support for all CSU students 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. To reach an advocate, you can call 970-492-4242. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for the podcast, please email wgac at colostate.edu. That's wgac at c-o-l-o-s-t-a-t-e dot edu. For more information about advocacy in the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, go to www.wgac.colostate.edu. You can always find the WGAC on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. A big thank you to Xavier Hadley for creating the music used in this podcast and to our partnership with KCSU at Colorado State University. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Thank you so much for listening.